Section 22 of the Byzantine Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Byzantine Empire, the Rear Guard of European Civilization by Edward Ford. Section 22. Epilogue. The Death Agony the latin and greek states their history ignominious end of the latin empire michael the eighth movements in central asia and irresistible advance of turks loss of imperial asia civil war servian and turkish conquests in europe check of turks at timur their recovery manuel the second Repulse of Murad II at Constantinople. John VI. Attempts to obtain assistance from the West. The Union of the Churches. Constantine Twelfth, Mohammed II. Fall of Constantinople and final destruction of remains of empire. With the sack of Constantinople in 1204, the Roman Empire, to all extents and purposes, came to an end, if, indeed, it had not already practically terminated its career before 1081. Men like Zonorus could see that the empire of the Kamenoi was not the empire of Leo III and Basil II. Its Roman traditions had been lost. But the destruction of the capital finally wrecked any hope of the re-establishment of a really powerful and vigorous state. Under the Kamenoi, the government had steadily tended more and more to become a pure despotism, and the annihilation of the administrative system in the capital broke up the machinery in every part of the empire. For some years there was anarchy. The empire was dismembered. The chiefs who had succeeded in saving parts of it were occupied in defending them, and when they had leisure to form administrations, they were necessarily of a very imperfect description, and one and all based upon feudal and semi-feudal principles, destructive of real stability. Against this must, of course, be set the fact that the Roman law was still enforced. Under a strong ruler, the people could be assured of personal justice, and so far the Greek states, which emerged from the ruins of the empire, were more healthy than the wretchedly misgoverned kingdoms of the West. The sack of Constantinople was the signal for a general advance of Bulgarians and Turks. Kylo John occupied northern Macedonia and Thrace. The Latin Emperor Baldwin was defeated and captured near Adrianople, and never again heard of. In Asia, the Seljuks of Rum overran Pisidia, and captured Italia and Sinope. Sinope. But were then checked by Theodore Lascaris, who was established at Nicaea. Alexis III had already succumbed in Thrace. In Epirus in Albania, Michelangelos, a bastard cousin of Alexius, had made himself supreme. At Trebizond, Alexis Komenos had proclaimed himself Emperor of the Faithful Romans, and ruled from Phasis to west of Sinope. 
while his brother David occupied parts of Bithynia. The Black Sea dependencies were nominally parts of his state. Only the southern Crimea appears to have been actually subject. The Latin Empire, which in 1205 had passed into the hands of Henry, the capable brother of Baldwin, never included anything more than southern Thrace and western Bithynia and Mysia. Bonifacio of Montferrat was slain by the Bulgarians, and his kingdom of Salonica was gradually conquered by Theodore, successor of Michael of Epirus. The capital fell in 1222. The Latin principalities in Greece showed more vitality, and those of Achaia and Athens held their own. Theodore Lascaris showed great vigor. He first secured himself from the Latins by repulsing them from Prusa, and concluded a truce in 1207. He then extended his sway over the old imperial provinces from Blithynia to Caria, and in 1209 was ready to meet the attack which the crusading barons induced Kaikosru of Rum to make upon him. Theodore pushed boldly forward to meet the Seljuk advance, and at Antioch on Maiander completely defeated and slew the sultan. The Seljuks troubled the new state no more for many years. In 1214, Theodore concluded a favorable treaty with the Latin Emperor Henry, and then attacked David Komenos of Blithynia, whose state he annexed. Henry, a wise and conciliatory ruler, died in 1217, and with him the only hope of the establishment of a Latin state at Constantinople passed away. The Venetians reaped many of the benefits so unscrupulously played for. They did not obtain their three-eighths of the empire, but they seized Crete and many other islands, and a number of ports in Epirus and Greece. The ruin of Constantinople left the trade of the east in their hands. Their occupation of the coast towns and the anarchy of the Latin state strangled the sea commerce of the Greeks but they were soon involved in a chronic struggle with the Genoese, who ultimately secured the trade of the Uxine and the Central Asiatic Mart. Theodore Lascaris died in 1222 and was succeeded by his son-in-law, John Ducas Vitacus, 1222-1254. Meanwhile, the Latin Empire steadily went from bad to worse. The lives of the emperors were a long train of humiliations. Peter of Courtenay was slain by the Albanians with all his army. Robert, 1219-1228, and Baldwin II, 1228-1261, lost everything except Constantinople and its district. Vitacus conquered all their possessions in Asia except, except Chalcedon. Theodore Angelos captured Adrianopoli and occupied central Thrace. Such territory as they regained was almost deserted, the inhabitants flying to any refuge where they could escape anarchy and feudal cruelty and insolence. The nominal sovereign had no control over the barons. Deeds of lawless barbarity were frequent, while industry vanished. Revenue could not be raised, and but for the Venetian command of the sea, the moribund state could not have dragged on its miserable existence as long as it did. In 1230, John of Nicaea conquered southern Thrace, 
and in 1235 formed an alliance with John Azin, the great king of Bulgaria, and besieged Constantinople. He was repulsed, but then turned against the Angeloi, made them tributary, and in 1246 annexed Thessalonica and its territory. Baldwin II spent most his entire reign in wandering about Europe, seeking assistance. In 1259 he was actually forced to pledge his son to the Capelli for a small loan. Considering the origin of the Latin Empire and the irreparable mischief caused by it, it is impossible not to feel satisfaction at the spectacle of its robber founders and their successors drinking the cup of degradation to the very dregs. John Ducas of Nicaea died in 1254, having nearly doubled the extent of his dominions, and also put the finances into good order. His opportunities were limited. During the greater part of his reign, a powerful sovereign ruled in Bulgaria, but he held his own against him in the Seljuks, and reunited many old imperial districts under his sway. The Greek sea commerce being ruined, he encouraged agriculture as the mainstay of his realm. On one occasion, when presenting his wife with a valuable coronet, he told her that it had been bought with money realized from the sale of eggs on his private farms. The anecdote bespeaks the true father of his people, and at the same time it shows that the economic horizon of the Greek states had been woefully narrowed. Theodore II, 1254 through 1258, conquered northern Macedonia from Bulgaria and gained territory from the Angeloi of Epirus. His son John was thrust aside and blinded in 1260 by the regent Michael Pelelogos, who gained a great victory over the Irperotes, Latins of Greece, and Italians in Pelagonia, and firmly established himself as emperor. Constantinople was now almost derelict. Its walls were held only by the help of the Venetian fleet. Within, the Latins could barely collect a little money by wrecking buildings and selling the materials. Hitherto, they had sold the sacred relics which the churches still contained. The city was a dreary wilderness, and imperial palaces were so filthy and neglected as to be unfit for occupation. In 1261, the Venetian fleet went to the Aegean on a raid, and General Alexius Stratocopoulos, Caesar, commanded in Thrace, entered by the gate of the Peget on the night of July 24th through the 25th with about a thousand men, and put an end to the Latin Empire of Romania. No one can feel a grain of regret at its disappearance. Sir Edwin Pear's crushing condemnation is not too severe. It deserves only to be remembered as a gigantic failure, a check to the progress of civilization, a mischievous episode, an abortion among states, born in sin, shapen in iniquity, and dying amid ignominy. Unhappily, the mischief which it had wrought could not be repaired. Some simulacrum of an empire might be re-established, centering at the ruined city of Constantine, but there was no possibility of restoring its past glory. The Asiatic territory was in fair condition, but that in Europe had been wasted and depopulated. The cities had decayed, 
the great seaborne commerce had mostly passed to foreign hands the splendid administrative system was in ruins everything had to be rebuilt from the very foundation the materials for the reconstruction hardly existed the task might have appalled heraclius or leo the third and michael the eighth though active and able was not by any means a ruler of a high order and was suspicious treacherous and timid in twelve sixty nine he regained a number of the smaller aegean islands having previously recovered southern laconia but in asia his suspicious timidity induced him to break up the frontier militia which was anti pele logan in its sympathies and thereby leaves the way open for the turks who were for reasons which must be briefly alluded to again spreading westward he was hampered by his relations with the genoese and venetians and by the unfriendly attitude of the church on account of his treatment of john the fourth the seljuk imperets united to assail him and encroached upon his asiatic borders they made no especial progress until late in his reign but in twelve eighty two they attacked and destroyed tralles the result was that though in europe the border was at the line of hamus and though in greece progress had been made in asia the most vigorous part of the empire ruin was at hand michael made a fruitless effort to consummate the impracticable union of the eastern and western churches and died in twelve eighty two in the midst of the disorder caused by the establishment of the latin abortion at constantinople a greater westward movement of central asiatics under mongolid was in progress in twelve o six the Khalkha mongols erected timud shin their lord of lords genghis khan and by twelve twenty seven he had extended his way to the dnieper at twelve thirty nine the great general subutai khan extinguished the independence of russia in twelve fifty eight hulagu grandson of genghis khan captured baghdad ended the abbasid caliphate and then broke up the seljuk sultanate of Rum. many of the followers chiefly turks settled or remain in asia minor among them a small horde under ertogrul ertogrul was succeeded about twelve eighty by his son othman after this turkish progress was steady andronicus the second son of michael the eighth enlisted the services of a spanish mercenary army under a german ruffian named blum called raja de flore which temporarily repelled the advancing turks but whose lawlessness was such that it was soon involved in a war with its employers while this internecine struggle which ruined great part of thrace macedonia and greece was in progress the turks inundated the already wasted asiatic provinces they were often defeated but to no purpose the disorder in asia the pressure of the mongol advance ensured their continual reinforcement by fresh immigrants the cities were isolated by the presence of the nomads and slowly starved or weakened into submission in twelve ninety nine othman took the title of sultan and established himself in Bithynia. in thirteen o eight ephesius surrendered and in thirteen twenty six after a partial blockade of ten years brassa 
Tartar hordes also invaded the European provinces, but these were repelled, and while steadily losing territory in Asia, Andronicus II conquered Thessaly from the Vlachs in 1308 and encroached on Epirus. Andronicus III, 1329 through 1341, lost Nicomedia and Nicaea to Orkhan, the successor of Othman, but though his Asiatic domain had almost vanished, completed the conquest of Epirus and made progress in Greece. Andronicus's death was followed by a long civil struggle between the supporters of his son John V, 1341 through 1391, and John Cantacuzenos, 1342 through 1355, during which the Turks gained ground with ease, mixed in the quarrels of the warring rulers, and succeeded in thoroughly ruining Thrace. While Stephen Dushan of Servia occupied Macedonia, Thessaly, and Epirus, and threatened to seize Thessalonica, the net result of external wars and civil broils extending over a century was that in 1373, John V, now by the abdication of Cantacuzenos, sole ruler, became the vassal of Murad I, the successor of Orkham. Murad was a fanatical Mohammedan and gave his followers that tinge of religious intolerance which completed the hatefulness of their national character. Barbarians of a low type they had always been, but easy-going and tolerant. Murad gave his heavy, clumsy, barbarian weapon the fine edge of Mohammedan fanaticism, and carried forward the organization of the terrible new troops, the famous Janissaries. He forced John to help him to take Philadelphia, the last independent imperial city in Asia Minor, 1379. In 1387 he took Thessalonica, and in 1389 gained a complete victory over the Servians on Kosovo Pol, near Uskab, though himself slain by treachery. He was succeeded by his son, Bayezid I, and in 1391 Manuel II succeeded his wretched father at Constantinople. For ten years Bayezid kept the city in constant terror of siege. Manuel made a tour in Europe to obtain assistance, but with little result. But in 1402 came a sudden turn of fortune's wheel. The great Turkish conqueror, Timur, came down upon Asia Minor and defeated Bayezid at Angora. He pushed on to Smyrna, which he captured and sacked, and wasted Asia Minor with horrible barbarity. The Ottoman Empire was shattered and by taking advantage of the dynastic struggles between Bayezid's sons, Manuel recovered parts of Thrace and Greece and Thessalonica. He assisted Mohammed I, 1413-1420, to recover his father's dominions, and remained on friendly terms with him until his death. He would have maintained peace also with Mohammed's successor, Yorah II, but he was now more than seventy years of age, and was overruled by the Senate, which thought the opportunity favorable, and compelled the aged emperor to associate with him his son John the Seventh, the leader of the war party. 
then in june fourteen twenty two murad besieged constantinople but though he brought cannon into play against the walls he was kept at bay and bloodily repulsed in a great assault on august the twenty fourth the garrison followed up the turks in their retreat and captured some of their guns murad's withdrawal had been caused by dynastic troubles the success was clearly only temporary it was constantinople's last victory over the barbarians whom she had withstood for eleven centuries john's warlike ardor cooled and he made peace paying tribute and retaining such territory as remained to him southeast thrace from Silaviria to mesembria thessalonica empirical morca lemnos imbros thassos and samothrace thessalonica was lost in fourteen twenty eight to the venetians from whom murad speedily took it and then there remained only about twelve thousand square miles of territory mostly wasted and useless of the wide dominions of the roman emperors of the east manuel died in fourteen twenty five at the age of seventy seven john passed his reign chiefly in desperate attempts to procure help from the west despite the ill will of the clergy and people he finally in fourteen forty concluded the union of the churches the results were disastrous he lost the confidence of his subjects and gained no substantial assistance the pope though willing could do little venice and genoa were selfish and indifferent venice would not understand that the crime of twelve o four had shattered the defence of europe and that she would soon be forced to cringe to the turk constantine the emperor's brother who held a semi-independent position in the morea gained several successes over the turks but was finally defeated by murad in person and though the latter was repulsed from croya in albania by the famous george castriotes iskander bey he gained a great victory over john hunyadai on kosovo pol october eighteenth fourteen forty eight john died of grief he was succeeded by his gallant brother constantine the twelfth the last christian sovereign of constantinople and in fourteen fifty one the great murad was succeeded by his greater son mohammed the second the conqueror and lawgiver strange combination of student warrior sensualist legislator and bloodthirsty savage the mightiest of ottoman rulers his resolution was fixed from the outset to conquer constantinople the emperor gave a pretext by a rash demand for an increase in the subsidy which he received for the maintenance of mohammed's kinsman and possible rival orkhan mohammed built a great fortress romelia hissar on constantine's territory near the capital massacred the inhabitants around refused all redress and on april sixth fourteen fifty three besieged constantinople by land and sea part of the population of the city had fled it contained not more than ninety thousand inhabitants of whom frantes informs us that only four thousand nine hundred and eighty three greeks and two thousand foreigners were fighting men this seems incredible but it is confirmed by independent testimony 
no account speaks of more than six thousand greeks and three thousand foreigners including genoese volunteers from galata the command under the emperor was held by giovanni justiniani a genoese noble who had come on his own account to the doomed city with two ships and seven hundred men he did not unhappily agree very well with the grand duke lucas notaras the greek commander and the venetians and genoese also quarrelled it does not seem that the genoese of galata as a whole were guilty of treachery but some certainly were the great inner wall was ruinous there were few cannon and such as they were the ramparts could not endure the shock of their recoil the garrison was utterly inadequate there were ships enough to defend the harbor but not to take the offensive arms and military stores were lacking appeals for help to europe had little result john hunyadi and the king of aragon bargained for a reward from the scanty possessions of the empire venice would not stir but pope nicholas v did his best to collect a fleet three genoese ships were sent in advance and thirty others were to follow mohammed had collected for the great attempt a host of twelve thousand janissaries seventy thousand regulars and sixty thousand irregulars with a fleet of fifteen large galleys and seventy smaller ones besides hundreds of boats and barges he had a huge siege park but by far his most tremendous weapon was his train of artillery in all he is said to have had two hundred guns of which sixty were of large caliber ten enormous and one a twelve hundred pounder of forty six inch caliber which surpassed all records in gun making until the nineteenth century with this fearful disparity of force and armament it is astonishing that any serious resistance was made and yet it is quite clear that there were times when the garrison appeared to have the advantage mohammed directed his main attack at the weak point in the city's defences where the walls dipped down into the lycus valley there he stationed himself with his janissaries and other picked troops under halil and sarajah pashas and his heaviest artillery isaac and mahmoud pashas with the asiatic troops attacked the triple wall towards the golden gate while karajah pasha and the european levies assailed those toward the golden horn and a fourth force under zagan pasha blockaded galata the fleet under boltoglu a bulgarian renegade lay at double columns Dolmabashe. and mohammed seeing the danger of forcing the harbour in face of the squadron which lay at the boom began to construct a tramway for the transport of his lighter vessels into the upper golden horn on april twelfth the batteries opened fire and at once it appeared that the walls which had so long withstood every assault could not stand against the weapons of the turk breaches began to appear and the defenders could only toil day and night to repair them on the eighteenth the damage already done was so great that mohammed ordered an assault it was repulsed with heavy loss by justiniani and a simultaneous attack on the boom by the fleet was also repelled by notaras on april twentieth the three genoese ships aforesaid with an imperial vessel under captain 
platanellas reached the city and fought their way in through the entire turkish fleet they reached seralago point and were then becalmed but beat off every attack of the vessel swarming around until a breeze sprang up and then cleared away for themselves despite all the turks could do mohammed was beside himself with rage and disgraced and flogged baltoglu on the twenty-second the turkish shipway was ready and seventy vessels of various sorts were hauled into the upper harbor an attempt was made to destroy them on april twenty-eighth but it was betrayed by someone in galata and beaten off mohammed massacred his prisoners and thereupon constantine retaliated by hanging the turks whom he had taken no news came from without the steady bombardment never ceased a light vessel was sent under turkish colors to look for the relieving fleet and a proposal was made that the emperor should escape constantine steadily refused he declared he would never abandon his comrades if death must be he would die with them it was a reply worthy of the last representative of the majesty of rome on may seventh an assault was repulsed and on the twelfth another determined attack near the andropinal gate was gallantly beaten back attempts on the boom all ended in failure but the scanty garrison was worn out with constant alarms the battering at the walls in malicus vale went on continually and a huge breach gaped for twelve hundred feet elsewhere serious damage had been wrought men women and children toiled night and day to repair the walls in vain on may twenty third the scout vessel came back she had seen nothing of a relieving fleet one or two of her little crew of twelve had spoken of saving themselves but the others would not hear of it whatever our fate may be it is our duty to return was their proud decision and the little craft made sail for the doomed city on may twenty eighth it was evident that a final assault was at hand mohammed had made up his mind that everything must be risked to forestall aid from the west he made the usual appeals of a turk and a mohammedan to the ferocious horde which he led they might take everything in the city he would keep only the empty buildings in the city a solemn service was held in hagia sophia the tragic pathos of the event has often been dwelt upon after service constantine called nobles and officers together in blackernay and solemnly asked pardon of all whom he had offended in the darkness of early morning on may twenty ninth the barbarian host attacked the horde of irregulars first flung itself at the walls but was repelled again and again with great slaughter being flogged and sabred back to repeated attacks by bodies of janissaries and police next the anatolian corps assaulted the stockaded breach in the valley of the lycus where the emperor and justiniani captained the defence zagan and karaja furiously assaulted the walls to the north but were beaten off while attack after attack at the breach was successfully repelled three hundred turks actually penetrated the stockade but were mostly killed and the rest driven out the duration of the desperate contest was telling fearfully upon the handful of defenders 
a little after dawn the janissaries and the sultanic guards came on so furious was their fire that the defenders could not show themselves and under its cover the janissaries charged the breach grand masters and brave men said the venetian barbaro who fought like lions and outnumbered the defenders by six to one yet before the splendid resistance to the grander masters and braver men who held the breach the assault of the janissaries magnificent invincible brave as lions led by officers worthy of them was stayed and brought to a stand but justiniani was severely wounded and left his post and for a moment the defence slackened constantine rallied his followers sent in his little bodyguard and placed himself at their head but it was too late mohammed threw his last ortas into the fray and led the assault and the blood-stained breach was his the remains of the garrison fought to the death on the esplanade between the walls in the front of their line was the emperor constantine with theophilus pelelogos and john dalmata on his left and don francisco lavares de tolilo at his right and he flung away his imperial insignia lest the turks should recognize and capture him his companions fell and sword in hand amid the oncoming crowd of janissaries and sipahis constantine met the end that befitted a roman emperor and a faithful soldier of christ there is little more the pitiful story of sack and massacre has been told so often why enlarge on the story of turkish bestiality one must speak as a matter of duty of the foul deeds of ancestors and co-religionists but things which disgrace civilized men are to this day the pleasure and glory of turks the venetian and genoese ships which had aided in the defence stayed to the last moment in the harbour and saved all whom they could such imperial ships as were manned seemed to have done the same some gallant cretans held out in three towers and surrendered on honourable terms some hundreds of the garrison got on board the ships a few more escaped to galata the turkish seamen left their ships absolutely empty in their thirst for blood and rapine but the harbour's mouth was blocked by the boom two desperate sailors of admiral theedo's gallery sprang overboard and hacked through the chain and one by one the venetian ships seven genoese and some greek vessels got outside and escaped as they drew away across the propontis to the hellespont in safety they left to the mercy of the barbarians of asia the great city from which that day to this has been in the prophet's vivid words an abomination of desolation where truth and mercy justice and peace have never been mohammed conquered trebizond in fourteen sixty four the second empire of his boasting chroniclers the morea had already fallen into his hands and with it the last fractions of roman territory in the east passed from civilization for nearly five hundred years the turk has made his sty among the ruins of the city of constantinople but the end is not yet end of section twenty two